Hey, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament epistle of Titus. Just thankful to have this time and space every week to study and grow in God's Word. And um, it's just been a, a, a rich and busy season for me. I, I'm, I'm doing a lot of the teaching at midweek as we're working through marriage and some of those layers. Excited to continue to do that work with you this coming Wednesday and beyond. Um, but also here as we move towards Holy Week, I'm really looking forward to Holy Week this year, Palm Sunday, a special Good Friday service at 7, and then Resurrection Sunday uh, to really remember that uh, last week of Christ's life and his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection where, uh, to my best ability to plan. Uh, we trust all the Lord, but I'm thinking we're actually going to move through the text in Titus for those services. and. I think it's going to be kind of sweet to see how that fits together. So um, just blessed, blessed to be with you. Whatever the, is happening in your life today, what does it look like just to strip it back, to put away the distraction, to really shelve and clear, clear the deck of worry, um, and just to come to the Lord just ready this morning, ready for his word and the truths of God and all the different ways they're going to move upon us. I pray you're blessed by it. We're in chapter 2 of Titus. And uh, before we jump into the next portion of the chapter, uh, look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is commissioning Titus, a qualified shepherd of God's flock, to speak to the saints regularly, a reorienting vernacular of the things that accord, the things that are proper with sound doctrine, the truths of God. Um, and, and so in that, there's, uh, for those of us who belong to Christ, uh, a living, a doing, a speaking in our, in our daily lives that that is to enjoy and hear and be rebuked and encouraged and reoriented to these good things, these, this testimony that is proper with God's truth. And that our shepherds are commissioned to really do that for us, with us, in a major way. Um, the last two sermons, we looked at what that specifically looks like for men, older, younger, and women, older, younger. If you missed that, you go back to those Find them on our podcast. Today we continue into verse 9 and 10, and we really look at the uniqueness of those who labor under others' authority. Look with me in our passage, Titus chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The English word that we read here, bondservant, is the Greek word doulos. It's a word that if you've been with us for any amount of time, you're familiar with. It, and it means slave. It's a word used very commonly in Holy Scripture in the New Testament um, our English translations soften that, that word with the word servant, or as we see here, bondservant. Um, a slave is one who submits to another's will. Uh, the life of a slave is one of devotion and service to another, 
with the fervent, committed, steadfast setting aside of one's own desires or interest. The, the topic of slavery is surely sensitive, um, especially given what most of us think of when we hear the word slave, slavery. Um, and so it's helpful sometimes to slow down and consider the uniqueness of this word in this context. Um, and so I, I want us to understand that those who were bond servants in the first century under the rule and policies of the dominant Roman Empire um, were different than probably what you're thinking. In the time that Paul's writing to Titus, slaves were said to have made up one-third to one-half of the total population. Uh, that means a significant portion of the community and the congregation that Titus was charged to shepherd in Crete included people whose livelihood was as a bondservant to others. So now we see why it's so fitting that Paul is constantly referring to this group of people in his different letters. And many of them, he gives specific words to this group of folks. Um, it's warranted, right? Such a huge part of the population and even the church, those whom God is giving saving faith and adopting into his church. So we want to understand Bond servants in those days, they served a wide variety of roles, and, and because they made, such, made up such a large part of society. Uh, and, and really, it, it wouldn't be too far to really see much of the way they worked was like our modern-day employees' work in different jobs for, with a variety of different skill sets and called to tend to uh, a wide variety of, of tasks. Um, to help us combat how we might too narrowly think of a slave, it's helpful to understand that human slavery has had many different forms over different generations, cultures, and eras. Uh, I've done it before. I'll take a quick minute this morning just to remind you of a couple of the big ones of how we've seen different forms of slavery at work in history. One is Hebrew servanthood. Hebrew servanthood was basically a provision for the Israelites who were so poor that they could sell themselves into servanthood to provide for their families. Leviticus 25, 39 through 40, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He, he shall be with you as a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. So there's a, a variant of, of servanthood, of slavery, not like others, but truly being purchased to work for a certain duration of time to provide income for one's family. Um, there was here uh, selling oneself to the authority of another, for a God-honoring labor in order to provide for one's family. We, we see Greco-Roman slavery. That's the context we find ourselves in as referred to in our passage today. Um, this is entirely different. Again, 
one-third to one-half of the culture in the New Testament times lived and fulfilled this kind of role. Um, so that means this kind of bond-servant slavery was linked to very common framework of society. Um, it, for many, it was their route for teaching, craftsmen, tradesmen, laborers. E even some of these would have their own servants that they would, would hire and employ. Um, and so this is much in that day how labor was negotiated. Um, it was humane, but for many, it, um, it, it was just a way of life and, and a way that society moved about. A third example, let me fast forward to the 18th century, British and American colonialism. We, we are introduced to indentured servitude. Um, essentially, it's a voluntary labor system whereby people used it to pay for their passage to the new world. They were working for an employer for a certain number of years that would then gain them certain benefits, especially to migrate uh, to this country from different countries and cultures and maybe varied forms of, of other oppression. Uh, the employer purchased the indenture from, from the sea captain who brought people over by ship because th that person needed laborers. People would work for a certain number of years, a fixed kind of contract um, as helpers, farm workers, farm wives. Some were apprenticed to, to craftsmen. Um, both sides legally obligated to meet the terms of the agreement. It was enforced by local American courts, you know, in its best form. Um, and so there's a layer of that applied in that season. And then we get to what probably most likely most of us think of when we think of slavery, um, because it's probably the most recent and it's surely the most offensive, it's sinful. It's the African slave trade, the 17th through 19th century, millions of Africans stolen, manipulated to be sold into slavery in British and American cultures through cruel and inhumane conditions that caused many to not even survive the trip. Uh, upon being sold into slavery, they were subjected to harsh working and living conditions by which unspeakable atrocities would happen. Uh, death, rape, abuse, disfigurement, starvation, exhaustion, and beyond. Um, sin at work in stone-cold, ruthless hearts of fallen men caused them to prey on to degrade and even destroy people made in the image of God. Um, other members of the same human race were treated like animals, like vermin. Um, what a disgusting generational impact it, it had. Church, while we look at different forms of slavery and servitude and how they were permitted through different generations of those who came before us, we who belong to Christ we need to have a God-honoring worldview of these things. For all who are created in God's image are of equal value, equal dignity, right? Lord, we spoke about this even recently in our midweek lesson, the dignity between men and women is the same, both created in the image of God, both adopted children to his eternal family. Um, and so that dignity for human life is essential from a Christian worldview for the born and for the pre-born, 
every ethnic group, every social class, rich or poor, mentally vibrant or slow, physically strong or impaired, God's people need to show love and respect for all those who are created by God in the image of God and not let any selfishness, any pride, any, any partiality well up that would cause us sinfully to look down or treat another as a lesser person because of our perceived differences. Any part of us that can get caught up in that, may we quickly see it, confess it, repent of it, be accountable to honor the Lord in these things. Now with that said, even though this is not popular among our growingly progressive heathen culture, the hierarchy of authority of one over another is a good design of God for his creation. And it's made clear in Holy Scripture that it is fitting and God-honoring and therefore, by us who trust and obey God, it, we are to honor it. We are to obey it as he's commanded us. For those of you thinking, how does this pertain to me? For us as Christians, we need to have a better grasp of servanthood because our very life in Christ is one as a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ. A right reading of Holy Scripture shows that one of the central, if not the most prominent identity given to us as Christians is to be joyful slaves. It is the way Paul would introduce himself. Once a prominent, known, established man in society, as he matured in faith, wanted to be most known as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his joy. It was his honor. One of the cool ways that we see this is in addition to the name Christian, uh, Scripture uses a host of other terms to name the followers of Jesus. Beloved, the body of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, the, the chosen, the church, disciples, the elect, friends, heirs, household of God, saints, sheep, sons of God, and more. But of all these descriptions, each in its own unique way, they help us see a different dynamic of what it means to belong to Jesus, to live for Jesus, and make much of him. The New Testament uses one metaphor, one title, more frequently than any of the ones I just mentioned. And it's not what we would necessarily expect unless you've really studied this. And it is the title of slave. The New Testament understanding of a believer's relationship to Jesus is that he is our master, our owner. We are his possession. He is the king, the Lord, the Son of God. We are his subjects. We are his subordinates. In a, in a good and righteous word, we are his slaves. And when you understand the depth of what your life before Christ, your life in sin meant, it meant slavery to sin and death. And when I rightly see that, 
and then the grace of God to forgive a guilty sinner like me through the, the death of the perfect Holy Son, the power of his resurrection, to make me his, to wash me clean, to forgive me and give me the power then to honor him and turn from what is wicked and selfish unto what is righteous and God-honoring. I see the joy it is to be Jesus' slave. The true joy. You must know, Christian, the gospel is not simply an invitation to become Christ's benefactor. Many People claiming the name of Christ, that's really only the way they see it, in a very prosperity-like view. No, it's not just an invitation to become his benefactor. It's a mandate to become his slave. Pastor John MacArthur says it well. True Christianity is not about adding Jesus to my life. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to him, submitting wholly to his will, and seeking to please him above all else. It demands dying to myself and following the master, no matter what the cost. In other words, to be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. Now the use of the word doulos, slave, bondservant, as we read it in our English translation in our text today, is not referencing our role as a Christ follower, but it's referencing in specific those whose role in society, their lot in life was one as a bondservant to another human. Over the years, many have questioned this instruction and why is it so often in Scripture as it almost seems to endorse slavery by its inclusion? First, we must remember again that not all servitude is the same. We've got to do business with that. So righteous judgment on this matter is essential. Second, and this is really important to hear, Paul neither condemns or commends the activity of the servant's life here, but focuses on the heart of the one enslaved, and their opportunity and duty to honor God in their service to their earthly masters. It's really important that we see that clearly. Pastor Sinclair Ferguson said it well. Paul operated on the deep conviction that social and personal condition were not the primary issue, but instead fellowship with God freedom from sin, transformation into Christ-likeness, and the advance of the kingdom of God. These were his central concerns. The gospel works anywhere. Nothing can hinder it, not physical imprisonment, which Paul, who's writing this, knew often and well in these years or the social chains of slavery, which many Christians of that day also knew. So what we have here is Paul speaking to how the gospel even impacts and moves mightily 
in an arena of life that is often seen as unacceptable or unjust. But what makes this passage personally relatable and applicable is when we realize that all of us who are under another, whether it's a parent or a husband or a boss or a coach or a teacher or an elder or a government official, we can therefore glean and grow from Paul's good and godly counsel to Titus in this portion of the letter. So that's why I've titled today's sermon, Labor That Accords With Sound Doctrine. So let's lean in and, and see what the Lord has in store for us today as we submit ourselves to the authority of his word. Laborers who serve another are in accord with sound doctrine when, as Paul gets into it, they are submissive to their own masters in everything. Christian, slow with me to see that God has saved us from a life of selfishness to a life of submissiveness, from a life of disobedience to a life of obedience. While our sinful flesh does not like to submit to anything, the Spirit's influence on us, Christian, does. Praise the Lord. For this is the very core of what happened when we were saved. We died to our own self-rule and reign, and we submitted our entire lives to Christ, to his holy word, to the authority of his appointed shepherds. By God's grace and power, we put a dagger in our self-rule and pride, and we joyfully said to Christ, rule me in every way. The humble position of submissiveness is one that we see throughout Scripture as a good and regular way people honor God given their different situations. A couple widely known ones, ones we've even seen as of late, Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Consider with me why we need to submit well to our earthly masters. Submission to authority is not ultimately to be done for horizontal benefits, but ultimately, church, to honor God. Children obey their parents. Wives submit to their husbands faithfully. Employees obey their bosses Christians respect and show honor to their shepherd's leadership because in the moral design and order of God's creation, it is right and the God-honoring thing to do. Even when you don't like the authority over you. Right? I mean, think of how quickly you reject the idea of your kids saying to you, parents, I just don't like the way you're leading me right now. You can have it. Like, there's no room for that. 
kind of perspective or attitude or talk. And yet somehow as an adult, we feel that we can grab hold of that kind of attitude and then employ it to our other situations in life. Christians, we cannot. Not if we're heeding the word of the Lord. Not if we're faithful to him in the ways he's calling us to be. If you don't like the decisions they make, if you don't like the direction they're taking, if you don't like the way they're doing it, we are to honor and obey them still. This is God's good command on us. It's what honors the Lord. This is here because it's hard to follow someone when they're leading you in ways that you don't personally like or agree with. Our flesh does not like this. But what is proper, what is in accord with sound doctrine for the position you hold is that you honor the Lord. Not to take over and then do it your way. How well the assignment is done according to how the authority asked for it to be done is the responsibility of the person who is under the authority. The result, good or bad, of whether or not that was a good instruction or pursuit or way to go about it is on the person who told you to do it that way. We who are under authority are not called to digest what we're told to do, process it, and then say, you know what, I think I've got something better. Let's do that. No, we are to honor the way it's given. And if it's a bad decision, then it's on the person with the authority, right? That's fundamentally essential. We have, it has to go that way or the whole thing breaks down. In God's economy. Church, there are a lot of times when our flesh wants things to go our way. We must see that this is the work of our sinful flesh. For those of us who belong to Christ, we don't want what our flesh wants anymore. We want what God wants. And even when it's hard, when we're instructed by an authority to do something, we need to want to honor the Lord and do it well. And so when the issue at hand is you're being asked to do what the person in authority over you is asking you to do, then you do it. You do it well. You do it emphatically. You do it the way you're being asked to do it, and you do it without complaint. And if you're tempted to say, I don't like this. I don't want to be under someone else's control. You need to see your beef is not with them. It is with the economy of the holy God and what he has created and commanded us to do. Your beef is with your selfish flesh and its desire to rule have it your way. Paul's commendation for slaves to obey their masters is not at all an endorsement of slavery. It's a command of the way God wants those who are under authority of another to act 
that glorifies him despite the circumstance. Church, we have to see this because we are all too often guilty of pushing back because it's not what we want. But this cannot be. This does not honor God. It only honors ourselves. It, it, it begins to give a different testimony that the Lord is not, that Jesus is not the Lord of my life, but I still am. We who belong to Jesus do not belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to Christ, and therefore we're committed to doing what honors him. Now, let me say this important clarity. I said this to the wives recently. We worked through the roles in marriage to children because it applies to any of us who are under a higher authority that God's given us. We are never to submit to or obey a directive that is unto sin. Why? Because that would be to dishonor God. And ultimately, we are to honor God in all that we do. Our first priority and ultimate authority is to honor God and obey God. So we do not obey orders or commands from authority that goes against God's clear command to us. Examples. We do not submit to state orders about how we are to worship or not worship God. That authority does not belong to them. It belongs to God. We do not... Um, we do not do something illegal for our bosses. We honor God. We honor the law. We do not work for our employers in such a way that it takes away from God-given priorities like family or church. We keep the God-given priorities he's given us in order. Before moving on, I'll say that it is my true prayer that Disciples Church is a growingly faithful obedient people, that that is a sign of our maturing in Christ, of the fruit of the Spirit at work within us, that we do this because it honors the Lord, and it makes much of Christ in our testimony. Finally, notice with me here in this first point of emphasis, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Whether those masters are believers or unbelievers, whether they are nice or they're total jerks, you should honor them and submit to them in everything that is lawful. This is right and it honors the Lord. Paul emphasizes another layer of how well we are to submit to them in his next point of emphasis. We're to do this so well that they are well-pleased. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. We're to be well-pleasing, church, in our service to others. To please them well in all things is not just to obey and serve them faithfully and do what's being asked of you, but to do it well. To do it in such a way the authority over you is well-pleased. This is good and honors the Lord. Okay? Again, let me be clear. Not to venture into man-pleasing. That's not what this is saying. Or we make an idol of those who are over us. Your heart's affections and the ultimate audience is not to man. It is to the Lord. Jesus said this well. Um, 
I'm sorry, Paul said this well in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Here we see that there is a Christ-honoring work ethic. That means you work really hard, not the way you think it should be done, but the way the one over you thinks it should be done. They should be well pleased with your labor. It doesn't matter how frustrating that is to you, how much you think there's a better way to do it, you, you're, you need to honor them. This is the way we submit to Christ and put on display the things that the Lord wants us to display. Again, church, the way we really do business with all of this is to remember that our lives in the here and now is not just for it going the way I want it to go and, ha- and finding my happy little land and, and journey and just tucking it all in and everything's just the way I want it. No, no, no. It's all his. And it's a privilege to be commissioned to this battlefield to do these things and steward the lots entrusted to us in such a way where they display the glory of God, the gospel of Jesus. They point others to him. Why does this matter? It matters because it recognizes properly the position you're in. You're the laborer. You're the employee. You're the one under the authority. You honor God by honoring the authority over you. No boss enjoys an employee who has given clear instructions and then they went and did it their own way. No, you're a great employee when you follow the instructions, when you produce what you're being asked, even when that's really hard, right? Too many people are professional at being unemployed because they're too opinionated. They're guilty of doing the job their way, which is why they constantly don't have a job. Right? They're not doing it the way they were trained. They're not doing it the way they were asked. This does not honor the Lord and surely does not endorse our faithfulness to Christ as we're disobeying his word on matters such as these. Hear me again. If it's not contrary to your true conscience or God's clear word and command, then you need to work to the pleasure of the authority over you that they may be well-pleased in all things. When we do this, we show reverence to Christ. Ephesians 5, 20-21, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we submit to others, well and right, 
those that God's put over us, we show reverence to Jesus. Reverence to our King. Look next. Titus 2.9, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. The Greek word Paul uses here means to speak against. It's essentially talking back and being disagreeable. It's the bad habit of being one who constantly has something to say. Talking back has some kind of weird rebuttal or comment. Um, this is something that many modern-day people struggle with. They've not learned how to shut their teeth and say, yes, sir, and do what they're being asked. You've got to have some slide comment or weird angle on it, right? I'm trying to teach my children. Mom told you to do something specific. She didn't ask for your weird opinion for why you did it or didn't do it. You just say, okay, Mom. You don't need an explanation. In that way, there's a talking back, right? It's the bad habit that we can form early on from our childhood. And the problem is if we don't address it, parents, if we don't address it there, our kids will take this forward. They'll take it into their adulthood. And they'll find ways to be those who rebuttal, who talk back. And it's, we need to see this. Kids who talk back are seen as disrespectful and disorderly. This is essentially the same for employees, for servants. Those over you do not need you to chime in or to slow down your productivity to talk everything out. Maybe you have a boss that invites that. Maybe they've seen something in you. Maybe you figure out a way to raise a hand and ask, and then you're given permission to, to do that. That's different. That falls in the lines of the appropriate boundaries you've been given. But when not given that, when you just take that, that that's going beyond what you should. We need to listen. We need to acknowledge what we've heard, and then we need to go do it well. One of the big ways we usurp the authority over us is to, talk, is to have to talk out what's been decided by the authority over us, right? But the problem is, it is not your position to have a seat at the deciding table. You are a subordinate, and therefore you need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Similar to the instruction on submissiveness, Paul's prohibition for laborers to talk back does not exclude standing up for what is morally right. Church, hear me clearly. If what you've been asked to do is against God's law or your Christian ethics based on Scripture, then you need to find a respectful way to speak up and not compromise what is honoring to the Lord ultimately. You do this because you ultimately serve a higher master than your boss or your manager or the owner of the company that you work for. James Council serves the laborer, the employee, the player on the team, the student in the class well. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
Next, as we move to verse 10, um, bondservants are, who are in accord with sound doctrine are not to pilfer, not pilfering. To pilfer is to steal. It's to take something that's not yours. It's to skim. It's the way employees can often sinfully take inventory or belongings or company funds for themselves when no one's looking. There's a, a more common way this happens in a modern era where an employee might report hours that they didn't actually work. That's to steal, right? You did not labor for those hours, and yet you're trying to get paid for them. They misused expense sheets or company funds for things that are not truly for the good advancement of the company or according to the boundaries they were given, but only for the good of themselves. Now, where people often get caught up in this is with self-reasoning. We become an authority unto ourselves, and we reason, well, no one's going to know different. This is really going to benefit me. This billion-dollar company ain't going to care. So we reason to pilfer when that's morally wrong. Or they don't pay me what I'm worth, so I'm going to catch up on what's proper here to get paid what I know I'm worth. Church, these are selfish and sinful ways that the flesh justifies stealing of what's not ours. When Christians do these things, not only is it unethical and costly to the employer, but it is damaging to our testimony of the Lord and the gospel we claim to represent. You need to look no further for how serious God considers these matters than the testimony of Ananias and his wife Sapphira, who took for themselves money that belonged to the church. Acts 5, 1 through 4, recorded that their lives were not only against others, but against the Lord, right? The matter was so serious to God that God ended Ananias' life right there on the spot. Church, it is essential that we do as Paul says to the church in Philippi. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to his, only to his own interest, but also to the interest of of others. These are the things that should govern us, propel us, motivate us, church. Next, not only to not pilfer, verse 10 continues, but showing all good faith. Paul tells Titus to be sure that he helps the servants and the laborers that are among him in Crete, that they their good faith is at work. That they're to be faithful, reliable, they're to be upright. To be people of good character who can be trusted even when the master's not around. 
Trust is an important characteristic that a boss must have of their subordinates. Why? For it is the owner or the boss's assets that are in jeopardy, not the employee's. It's the owner's reputation ultimately on the line. It's, it is their financial gain or loss that is on the line. Not the servant, not the worker. The employee is to steward well what doesn't belong to him or her with what's been entrusted to him or her. They are to show good faith. Christian, let me ask you, is this your reputation? Is this a highlight of your resume? Is this the kind of worker that you are? Part of this is not just what you do when you work, but it's showing up on time. It's completing the job. It's being faithful in keeping the job. You were trained, you were invested into to keep that job. And not being the person who's known for bouncing from one thing to the next. Because you don't show good faith. Employers don't like to see a resume that reveals that you've not been faithful to those you've worked for. It's one of the biggest red flags you can have on a resume. right? They want to see your endurance your hard work, your longevity. When often you have to have a string of excuses for why all these things didn't work out, whether you like it or not, you're the common denominator of all those situations. And, and the person who doesn't know you, who's evaluating you based just simply on your track record, that's how they're going to see it. They want to see endurance, hard work, longevity. They want to see good faith, a solid and enduring work ethic. When Jesus says, let your yes be your yes in Matthew 5, he's commending us to be people who do what, we're, what we say we're going to do. When we say, I'm going to do something, we see it through. We don't later justify why we're not. Why we've decided to do something else. People who are of good faith will see through what they've started and not find an excuse, justification, to bail out, to not show up because something better came along. Paul spoke in a similar way to the bondservants he wrote to in Ephesus, Ephesians 6, 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. They are to obey, they're to labor, they're to work with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Church, pay real close attention to this. We work hard and faithfully because it is the Christian way. Because it's not just about us. But everything we do is about him, pointing to him, pointing others to him. This is what Paul is getting at, the end of verse 10. But showing all good faith so that in everything, 
they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Christian, we do what we say and we work hard as unto the Lord because it is the Lord's doctrine that I adorn in all that I do. It is important that I am doing what's fitting, what's in accord with sound doctrine. It's his name I live for. It's his gospel we profess. It's by his grace and his power that I, that I live. And so if you belong to Christ, you'll act in a way that shows others, that respects others in the same way you live for and respect Christ. Why? Because it is who you are as a Christian. If you belong to Jesus, then it's not about what you want. It's not even about what the person deserves or not. It's about who Christ is and what he is worthy of. We must work with a sincere heart for the Lord, even if we don't like the job we're given. Again, it's not about us. It's about him. So we don't obey begrudgingly. We do not hear what our boss wants and then begrudgingly do it. We don't give attitude. We do it well. We do it with a sincere heart. Why? Because this is how you honor Christ and make much of Christ. Christian, your labor for your boss. Athlete, your playing for your coach. Wives, your submission to your husband. Kids, your obedience to your parents. Church, your honoring of your elders. Citizen, your respect for those who are in authority over you in government is showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You don't do it superficially while you groan and complain and argue and delay. You don't say yes, sir, to their face and then go behind their backs and gripe and moan and complain and yell and scream and gossip and slander. Talk trash. As Paul says to the church in Ephesus, you do it well with sincerity in your heart. Why is that internal layer asked of us? Why is it pointed out? Because it is the part that honors the Lord the most. Right? He sees the heart. Not just the mask we're good at throwing on. It's the part of you by which God knows more than anything else. And knows more than anyone else. Christian, how often are you guilty of doing the right thing for the wrong reasons? You must see that that is still sin. God wants us to be upright and honorable in our heart and our deeds. Listen to the heart of Jesus as he rebukes the Pharisees for this very practice. Matthew 23, 25-28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. 
you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When Christ's church is at the helm of our hearts, we honor him and others who are over us. There's an empowerment to do this that we just don't have on our own. Whether we like them or not, whether we like how they're leading us or not, we honor them with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. I just ask you again, is this you? Is this your testimony in public among, and among your brethren in the church and in private when no one's looking? If it only applies to some circles and not others, then you're a hypocrite, according to what Jesus is pointing to here. Let us do business with all of these layers. Let us plead for Christ to go to work in and through us in all of these facets. We would love and honor him. God doesn't want our showmanship. He wants us to be obedient to those who are over us with sincerity in our hearts and that we do it ultimately unto the Lord. So let's take account this morning, church. Let's let the word of God and the movement of the Spirit Bless us with clarity and conviction and motivation. When you think of those whom God's put over you, those who are called by him to honor and obey, do you honor and obey them truly and fully as unto the Lord? Christian, this is life in Christ. Again, Colossians 3, 23-24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Right? Oh, God has blessed us, church. Paul says to the church in Ephesus that he's given us in Christ every spiritual blessing. Let us not be ones who are too worked up about such a temporary box of blessings in this short life to know that we have dump truck loads of blessing, reward and feast and joy with the Lord forever in heaven that I would serve him well in this day in this stretch of my path, that it is my joy to do so. Because I belong to him. Romans 1.6 basically says, the heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. We belong to him for his glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with the high price, so honor God with your life. 
Christian, we must fight our flesh, which wants nothing more than to rule and reign. That, that fleshly rule and reign, hear me, it's, it's hell. It's prison. It's deception. It's idolatry. Truth is found when we die to ourselves, live to Christ. If you're here today and you've not truly been saved, you've maybe come to church, you've maybe read the Bible, been around religion, but God has not given you a new heart, new birth, Jesus calls it. That means to take what is enslaved to sin and dead and in sin and and give you saving faith, to give you eyes and ears to see and hear the gospel of Jesus as good news to your soul. Did you see your wickedness and your shame before the holy God? You see you deserve his judgment and his wrath. And by his grace, he's forgiven you because of Jesus' sacrifice in your place. What a gift that Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He's a forerunner of resurrection, that I'm alive in Christ and I get to serve Christ with these days and make much of him. Oh, I don't want to serve the old master, the reign of the flesh, the the deception of, of the enemy. I want to serve and love my master Jesus in all of these things even if the lot, even if the path he would call for me is really hard. Oh, what he's done for me is gloriously better. Amen? I want to know him, serve him, glorify him. If you are not yet saved, the biblical call in your life is to repent and believe. Trust your life to Jesus. I pray you will. If you have questions about that, we'd love nothing more than to talk and walk with you. Brothers, sisters here would love nothing more than to pray with you and point you to Christ. If God's giving you saving faith, then we want to celebrate that with you. Tell us. Tell us what God's doing. When we live and labor, showing all good faith, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. May it be so. Pray with me. Lord, you're so good. Um, we so need you. We just need you. We just misfire so, so quickly when it's up to us. So we just, I just thank you, Lord, for your steadfastness to us even when we're not faithful. And I thank you for the work of the word and the spirit, the accountability of brothers and sisters. You love us enough to grab hold of us and help us out of our stuff, out of our sin, out of our self-reign. That we would be like Paul and just a radical abandon that it is our joy to die to self and live to Christ, no matter what's before us. Holding rightly the things of creation that are so temporary, not putting our hope or identity in these things, but solely in you. 
do that work in us, Lord. And hear us as we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray.